I would want to talk about love. If I had to tell my last story, I talk a lot about heavy things and trauma, but I think love is what got me through most of that. And I think wanting to express how much my people mean to me, um, both family and friends, because I think they're your chosen family. Um, so I would want to write a love poem to, um, to everyone who's meant something to me. From cave drawings to family histories to stories around the fire, humans crave order among chaos, connection amid isolation. So we tell stories. Our mission at the Storytellers Network is to bring the art of story to the masses. Whether you're in marketing, you're an entrepreneur, or you're developing your own personal brand, telling your story effectively can make the difference between celebrating milestones and collecting unemployment. The Storytellers Network strives to help storytellers tell their stories so you can learn from the best. Now, your host, Dan Moyle. Welcome to the Storytellers Network podcast, season eight, educational storytellers. Uh, I'm excited to have today's guest on because she educates people about quite a few things and a little bit a little bit of a heavy topic too. So uh, we'll get into that. But real quick, at, before we do, the website is where you want to go for past interviews, great resources, all kinds of stuff. Uh, the blog, all that's there. The storytellersnetwork.com is all on there. So let's get into today's guest. Uh, today's guest is a spoken word poet and she educates people about the trauma of sexual assault. And her, as we get into the conversation, she talks about her, her life's mission, her personal mission statement. And part of it is to end rape culture and to stop sexual assault in the world. And I just think that's absolutely incredible. And uh, she's amazing. She's a survivor herself. She's a writer, a performer, an educator. And I love her bio on the website, Unwritten. Talia Minji is a writer through and through. Her first love will always be poetry. She competed in a 2018 National Poetry Slam team in Chicago. She writes for self-expression and social justice and performed at the 2018 March to End Rape Culture. She also does freelancing work and has been published in Thought Catalog. Currently, she's ghostwriting a novel and writing for Unwritten. She's constantly overwhelmed by all of this, but happy to be paid for what she loves, which is absolutely what it comes down to, right? So without further ado, let's get to Talia's stories. Talia, welcome to the show. I appreciate you making time to talk to the Storytellers Network listeners. Uh, I, I hope it's a great experience for you. So welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. Good. Uh, so as a poet and a, and a writer, uh, maybe this is an obvious question, but it still is kind of fun to hear everybody's responses. Do you consider yourself a storyteller? Oh, I definitely do. I actually, that was one of the original, when I was throwing around titles for my book, I almost named it The Storyteller, ironically. Mm, that's cool. <laughs> um, yeah, I think each of my poems, um, I try to start with the story that sets up, up the poem. Um, so it's very much tied into writing for me. Mm-hmm. And and one of those poems that I, that I watched uh, has a story connected to it. And it was, what a great, poem on so many levels and, and as a guy I mean so obviously this is a, a someone who identifies as a man talking to someone who is a woman uh, and so like some of these things are interesting to me because I'm I'm the opposite of you in a sense but your your poem right. the, the tits poem yeah it was like uh, first of all your, your story getting into it was, was really kind of funny like just hey this is a little bit vulgar but it's also smart because smart people swear so let's get into this um <laughs> and then, and, I, and I'm not sure, like, I, I haven't seen a ton of, of poetry readings necessarily. So when you began to, to then 
I think talk about the poem. I don't know if it was the intro or the actual poem. You talked about um, how, you know, the, there's men in the room and you don't want to hear another man hating poem, but get on board kind of a thing. Is that, is yeah. that part of the poem or was that kind of your intro? That's, yeah, that's the, that's the beginning of the poem. Okay. Um, yeah, I think, um, I, I think men turn, tend to tune out when um, women speak sometimes. And I thought I wanted to, you know, kind of draw attention to that and be like, well, you have to pay attention because it's about boobs. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I thought it was a fun kind of intro to, to a semi-serious topic. But I try to always throw in a little bit of humor, a little bit of hope in my poems so that it's not just all heavy or all like man-hating or something like that. <laughs> humor and hope. I like that. That's good. Yeah. That does help, I think. And it's funny because, I mean, not funny. I'm, I, I don't always know which words to use. It's interesting to me because as I'm a, a volunteer with an organization that, that works with domestic and sexual abuse survivors, uh, we talk about how so often the perception is that it's like, well, men are the problem. This, we're we're man-hating. In the case, that's not the case at all. Men, exactly. men are probably the solution because we are the ones who are in that power but we're not the problem. And so your poetry to me uh, speaks that like, I didn't feel attacked. I felt like empowered to be an ally to women rather than like, Oh, we hate men. Stop doing this. Your, 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 your hope and your humor did work in that way. So that was cool. Oh yeah. I definitely, um, I was just having a conversation the other day about something and it's, it's not man hating it's man accountability. Like we want them to, to just, see where they're going wrong and just listen to us so that we can fix it together. I think because I uh, personally, I think feminism is for men too. And I think um, like I want changing tables in men's rooms too. You know, they, it's, I think everyone can benefit. We're not, none of us are free until we're all free is um, a quote that MLK said. And um, I think it's very true that, that, you know, it can open up, feminism can open up a lot of things for men as well. It's not just women and non-binary people as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Changing tables in men's room sounds like such a simple thing, but I mean, come on, can we just get it seriously? Right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So where do you think that starts for you as a storyteller? Is that something that is just born into you or did you discover that at a certain age? Um, I'd say actually it's kind of funny that my family used to make fun of me because they said I was a rambler and I would go on too long and they, they even would shut me down and say, Ty, like, are you done with your story yet? Or talk over me. And I think that it almost encouraged me to get better at it and to be heard in a more concise way. And I think spoken word poetry and slam poetry, um, they give you like a three minute and 10 second window. So it really helped me focus and um, able to just deliver my point more clearly um, but I think growing up, I was more of a, a shy person, so I didn't really do a lot of storytelling, and it's something that I've had to, to grow over the years. How do you then, as a shy person, uh, grapple with that and work through it uh, to be a performer then? Hmm. Um, well, it did not come naturally. That's for sure. I was, I, the first time I got on stage, I shook like a leaf, like my whole body was shaking. I was absolutely terrified. My friends forced me me to go up there. And, um, it's just, I think practice is the main thing of like, just almost like exposure therapy. You have to just throw yourself on stage like a, a bunch of times until it becomes, it 
becomes more natural. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think performance is something that you have to imagine in your head first. You have to really like like memorize a poem and perform. And a lot of it is behind the scenes. It's before you even step on stage that makes you f- feel prepared and ready so that you're not just like going up there and winging it. <laughs> so really it's, I mean, there's a whole lot of preparation that goes into one poem because not oh, only do yeah. you have to write it, you have to think about performing it. So there's, it sounds like it's a lot of work. Yeah. Especially if you're memorizing it. Um, some people read off their phone or read from their book or something like that, but memorization, um, you have, you're just drilling the poem over and over and over again. Um, and, and it's, which is very difficult because a lot of the time it's, um, like something super personal and emotional for you to, so to have to drill something, you know, if you're talking about, like for me, I write a lot about, um, sexual assault and my experience with that and to have to do those poems over and over and say these hard words again and again, really like is a difficult thing, which is why I often read from my phone, but I think there's a little more flexibility when you have it memorized and you can like really get into the poem and for, you know, you don't have to worry about scrolling or, you know, <laughs> turning the page. You can just lose yourself in the poem. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so when you are performing these poems then, and you've done them a number of times, but it's an emotional story. Do, do you ever get numb to what the poem is and forget that there's emotion tied to it or does it always bring you back to that emotional side where you know where to pause or that kind of thing um i'd say it's um easy it's very easy to become numb to it um because it's almost like a self-protective like coping mechanism to be to like shut down the emotion and it and just deliver it um so it's actually like i feel like the more better you become at performing the harder it is to get back to the roots of why you wrote it in the first place because it becomes a performance instead of the poem that you're trying to 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 remember why you wrote it what that emotion was that turned you to the outlet of writing Mm -hmm. Um, I actually went to the National Poetry Slam in Chicago for 2018 so I was on a team and we spent the entire summer working on three poems each poet and so we would have like three hour practices where they were just like, okay, now do it again, but do this little thing differently. Now do it again and like connect to it this way. And, and uh, it's, it's really beautiful seeing poets um, get a poem out because you know how hard and how long they've struggled with connecting to it on that level. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's, it's very satisfying to see people on stage, like, really just like kill a performance, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but so is it, is it, how, how important is it then to have, you know, a, a coach when it comes to these performances? I imagine a lot of, you know, book writers, prose writers have editors, not sure if poets do. Mm-hmm. Um, but in addition to that, having that coach to help you in your performance. Um, well, with my experience, um, I had a little bit of an odd one. It was the last year of um, the slam I was on and there were some problems with our coach. Um, So he became kind of more um, separate from the team and we ended up kind of coaching each other a lot. And um, I think that it's more, less about the coach, more about the community. And I think you you develop mentors in the community. And I think um, we actually, one of the poets, um, Roderick Minor, who ended up just kind of randomly staying with us so that he could have a place to crash um, <laughs> for the National Poetry Slam. Um, 
he ended up becoming kind of like a pseudo uh, mentor to all of us. And, and I've continued that relationship for like a, um, about a year now. And he, uh, we trade work back and forth and having someone to not be so solitary in your work really brings it out of you and makes you consider different perspectives and, and poets very much challenge each other. Mm. We're very much holding, we hold each other accountable. So like, um, a lot of uh, poets are non-binary or um, gender fluid and trans and um, uh, using like holding people accountable for the right pronouns um, is a very big thing in the poetry community. And it's been very refreshing to like go up to someone and you don't just say your name, you say your pronouns, you know, and that's very different. And I think poets very much take charge in social change. And I think that's going to be one of the big things that poets are responsible for is um, having less of a gendered language. Hmm. Very interesting. It's so are we on kind of a precipice of an evolution of writing right now in poetry? You think? I think so. Um, I think there's a lot of big platforms that are, that are making very big movements to make, um, poet, spoken word poetry more in the public eye. Hmm. I really could see it becoming as big as hip hop. I wish, um, like that's actually a lot of uh hip hop artists started in poetry and then moved to music to make more money. <laughs> right, right. And I think uh <laughs> if we put more money into the arts and um and just like had more exposure, um, it would be very beneficial to society. I think we bring up a lot of different like, you know, storytelling is very powerful. It it changes people and, and exposes you to different perspectives that you hadn't um, considered before. Hmm. And um, actually a few poets have been on Jimmy Fallon. So I think we're getting there a little bit. Maybe. <laughs> I think so. I've, I've heard that you're actually the second poet that I've talked to you for the storytellers network. Um, Ebony Stewart hmm. was another one. And she talked about how, yeah, Fallon has had some spoken word poets. So that's exciting. That's very oh, cool. I love Ebony Stewart. She's amazing. I actually she got is. to meet her at the NPS. <laughs> really? Oh, excellent. She was um in Kalamazoo. I, I discovered her on I, like on YouTube or Facebook videos or whatever it was. I was like, oh my goodness, I have to I, I have to hear more of her work. And right. <laughs> I reached out to her and she she said yes that she would come on the show and I was excited. And then I realized that by like a week I had missed her in Kalamazoo which is only about 40 minutes away from me where I live. And I thought, Oh no, I could have seen her, but uh, next time. Oh. So. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> but yeah, it's very interesting. Well. I, I like to think of myself as a, maybe a recovering poet. No, I don't know. Um, I used to write poetry as kind of therapy and I love poetry. I love the symbolism that you can use and the story you can use. So the fact that I have my second poet on the storytellers network is uh, pretty exciting for me. So I appreciate it. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. I think, I think it's funny. A lot of people, whenever I tell someone they do uh, that, I do poetry, they, um, they always tell me, they're like, Oh, I used to, I used to write poems like as a kid or something. And everyone's got like some time where they wrote poetry in their life. And I think it's damaging that we discourage that where that poets get the vibe of like, you know, the starving artist reputation Mm -hmm. instead of like, the power that is behind poetry. It's, it's one of the best outlets. I think it's the best way to create something that taking something ugly and making it beautiful. I think like poetry really makes a purpose out of any story. If I, every, every hardship in my life, I've been able to write a poem and then I can be like, at least I got a good poem out of it. (laughs) Right. Um, Do you think, gosh, that's a great poetry turns it into purpose. What a great, yeah, from pain uh, to purpose. Yeah. yeah. 
Do you think that, um, I mean, is that just in us then to be poetic and use it as a, uh, a therapy thing? I mean, that's just, I, 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 I never thought about how many, I mean, I guess obviously you as a poet hear that story a ton. Oh, I used to write poetry. I never thought about how many people maybe did that. Is that, I mean, gosh, why do we yeah, outgrow I that? Think, <laughs> I'm not sure. I think, I think society really tells you, um, I think it in general discourages you from art because it's seen as unproductive. Mm-hmm. I think people think that they're, you know, it's, it's, it, you need to start focusing on your career. You need to start focusing on other things instead of like self-expression. But I think uh, my, one of my favorite quotes is actually, I put it in my book was, uh, let me get it right. So I don't butcher it. <laughs> <laughs> there is no, there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside of you. Um, that's by Maya Angelou. And, um, I think that, that, that hearing that changed my life because I think I looked at everyone as having a story and that everyone's got an agony inside of them that they're waiting to get out. And I've always tried to be someone who is both listening and someone who's leading by example, by telling my story as much as I can. Mm. Well, bravo for doing that and having the courage to to tell it again and again. Um, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Did did poetry come first for you or was poetry the outlet by which you dealt with your uh, sexual assault experience? Um, I always kind of like had journals going up. I was very much like, um, ironically, I was in remedial reading and hated reading, <laughs> but I would still write all the time. Yeah. And then I had this one teacher that um, Mr. Dixon and he just like knew exactly, he just got to know me and like recommended a perfect book and, just got me into reading and, and um, was just so encouraging um, and inspired me. I wanted to be an English teacher. I actually did three years of college as an English uh, education major. Um, and then I switched to poetry in college after I was um, date raped um, actually by a f- close friend of mine. Hmm. Um, and he, I, he knew everyone, all of my friends and I felt very much trapped and couldn't felt like I couldn't tell anyone so I wrote a poem instead and um uh, that was my first spoken word poet poem and that poem actually took me to nationals it won me um that was third place in the season for the slam poetry um and I got to perform it on a national stage and the process of writing and rewriting and trying to cope with the trauma both like as a performer and knowing I needed to get this poem out and as like in real life time was very difficult. And kind of, as I was writing the poem, I was opening up to more friends about it and admitting and, and just the way poetry just gives you an outlet to, to say something that you can't even say to yourself, I think is really beautiful. I got a little off track there. So. <laughs> no, that, no, that's okay. I'm, I'm just letting that kind of sit there for a minute because it was really good. Um, hmm. want listeners to kind of embrace that and, and realize that that's, that that's there. Do you, how do you see the world between poetry and prose? I mean, do you go write short stories also, or do you focus solely on the, the art and, and the, the skills of poetry? Um, I'm very much like a Renaissance kind of woman. I do a little bit of everything. (laughs) Um, I've had a lot of articles published, um, which it isn't my main passion, I would say, but I do enjoy article writing just because it gives you a little more space to get the story out, um, instead of like a three minute format, you know? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, 
but I also write fiction. Um, I eventually want to publish my my <laughs> very in the beginning stages um, novel, fiction novel. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you're an artist, it's very limiting to stick to one medium and to think you're only one title because then you, you really miss out on some beauty and, and some potential for your next, next big project. So I really encourage people all the time to explore a new medium, to teach yourself something new. It's actually very good for your brain development um, to learn new skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do, I do photography. I um, paint a little bit. I, uh, I do, a, yeah, I, I volunteer. I do a little bit of everything. <laughs> so kind of like the painter should do sculptures, the poet should do short story, and then everybody cross over and do the other things too then, huh? Exactly. And I think it helps um, if you're an entrepreneur too, because then you can be your own agent. You can, you know, if you develop business skills and and your art, I think people think, you you have to just oh if I just write poems and I just put it out there I'm going to be discovered you know but you have to advocate for yourself and um really like email people you have to make networking convent connections you have to be you know a famous authors they go on book tours so they have to set that up and mm-hmm. <laughs> and talk to crowds and so you have to you have to really um just try to get as big of a skill set as you can um to be successful. And where did you kind of realize that that was the case? I mean, we, we talk about, let's say, show business is a business, right? But it sounds mm-hmm. like for you, Talia, it was kind of the same thing where you said, okay, I need to get out there and get myself out there. I can't just, if I build it, they will come kind of stuff, right? Where did, right. That, where did that moment come for you and how did you get through it? Um, I think it was probably the moment that I realized that I wasn't going to be a teacher. Um well, in the in the normal, you know, like high school te- English teacher with with the degree and and all that kind of stuff, um, I still teach um, other ways. But I had a moment where um, I just realized that it wasn't going to work out. That I couldn't see myself waking up at six a.m. And, and sticking to this curriculum of all these classics that I didn't even enjoy reading sometimes <laughs> myself, and yeah. thinking I was going to have to teach that and realizing how um, limited you can be and how much your hands are kind of tied behind your back by the politics of, of the education system before you even get into the classroom. Um, and I realized that I had all these skills in teaching and I, well, was I just going to get rid of them? Was I going to just give up that dream to switch to English, you know? And I was like, I need to find a way to co- combine these things and to, um, to take those, that three years of education and, create a new way to do it um which i now do um a survivor's writing workshop um where i uh have people of all kinds of backgrounds you know poets um people who've never written in their life before coming together to do writing prompts um that are targeted towards healing and kind of just um rewriting your own story in your voice um and that has been very powerful. And it's been like, wow, I can take my poet side and I can take my teaching side and I can combine them and make a difference with it. That, that has to be incredibly fulfilling to not only teach others to write and edit themselves. And, and as you said, rewrite their story, but also to help folks going through trauma, whatever that looks like. Um, incredible. Well done. Thank you. Yeah, it's been amazing. Um, my sister actually came to the work to the first workshop, and um, 
it was it, she's always kind of been a very like closed a person like doesn't like talk she's like oh everyone's talking about emotions I'm just gonna leave <laughs> <laughs> and uh and she wrote this beautiful poem and shared with the group and um it was just it's moments like those that make it, it the hard parts worth it because people who I've had so many survivors who have come up to me and just they haven't told people in 20 years they haven't told a single soul and they're they just they hear a poem or some line that just opened them up and and it just comes pouring out of them and it's really beautiful honestly and and that's why I do a lot of the work that I do is to is to encourage people to get that untold story agony outside of yourself Mm -hmm. which is like the way you said that gave me a, a picture in my head of when we do hear about victims coming forward 20 years later, unfortunately far too often the, the, the response is, well, why did it take you so long? But it sounds like you're seeing that again and again, that it just takes us a long time for some of us to talk about it and how important it is to then just listen and let them be heard. I think um, trauma is a well and there's, new depths every every time you could try to go into it and a lot of people are terrified to even start they just stand at the top and just try to pretend they're not standing over top of a chasm you know of uh of trauma and um i think that a lot of times when you do finally come forward if that person doesn't have the right reaction it can shut down them and and that's the only person they're going to tell i know when i first like was date raped I went to a friend and um she kind of had a poor reaction and I think that first opening up and being like I you're trying to process it yourself you're trying to figure out what happened too and for someone else to be to be negative about it is very much um damaging to your healing process I think not being received well makes you think everyone is going to judge you. And I mean, society does not take survivors well. Mm. <laughs> um, I was actually, I was raped twice. So um, I, the second time was very like violent and I had to um, go to the hospital and involve the police and everything. Um, and the police were, didn't do anything. And uh, mm. the, I think at the end of the, the two hour police interview that I had, um, I asked him what my chances of like my case were if he, if he could give his opinion on it and his story was that oh well I had another girl in here who had a great story like you and she um she I proved her wrong so it's hard for me to take sides and be able to tell you like what's going to happen wow and yeah <laughs> wow and he ended up doing nothing so wow. Like for, you know, if you're thinking about, oh, it's so hard just to come out and say it now, f- facing all that backlash, it just makes it even harder. Mm-hmm. Well, so hopefully the work that you're doing then between the, the workshops and the, the poetry performances and everything else and, and the, you're just advocating helps to change that. I mean, I'd like to, I, I've seen it changing between, you know, social media movements like Me Too and Time's Up and then conversations. I mean, I, I'd like to think that the tide is changing, so... Yeah, I think we're at least at least we have a um a platform now almost, I guess to say um to say our stories. It's it's not always being received well, but at least um people are paying attention for once and it's not being brushed under the rug mm. because I think there is no good time or place to bring up trauma. I think it's it's always going to be a bummer, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like 
like there is no so what do you do when when you need to get this stuff out of you but you don't ever want to hurt other other people or be like you know trigger other people and you you feel like you have to trigger warning everything you say and it's it's just very hard to um to share your story and it's not a time that I don't get very nervous going up and doing a poem about rape um because one for the survivors in the room I don't want to force anyone to relive anything that they're not ready to but I also feel like sometimes it feels good to hear other people's stories and to like and to feel seen and and have people applauding something that you're terrified to say is very powerful for a survivor in the audience um and then the other part is other people like just not being aware you know like I think Me Too made people aware of how many of their friends and family were going through this that they had no idea and for for a hashtag to do that is just it's just magical honestly Mm -hmm. yeah it's powerful and to and to know that you know you're, you're not alone to know that you are heard, you are seen, you are valued. And then mm-hmm. like, again, going back to the tits poem, you use a little bit of humor in something. While that yeah. <laughs> may not be about your assault in particular, it does kind of reference that of like, you know, I'm a, I'm a human being. A rape culture. Yeah. Yeah. yeah culture, the rape culture. Like, yeah. Because yeah, it doesn't, you just don't start. You're just not just born a rapist. You're taught, you know, that can, you have to teach people consent from the beginning. If they don't know that, they're going to have gray areas, you know, they're like date rape specifically is very um, hard because uh, they, it's someone, you know, and you, and people really just, just over, don't know what consent is. And they think, Oh, they're not saying anything. They haven't said specifically no. So that means it's okay. And it's like, no's can come in so many different forms. Like, body language and like you know if someone is scared they they can freeze up instead of things or fighting or flighting you know people often think you're just going to fight or or run away and it's really the freezing up is is very common in a lot of assaults so um i think that needs to be talked about more and to understand your own reactions to things to an unimaginable unimaginable situation you're going to have visceral reactions that you can't really control and you have to forgive yourself for that. Well, yeah, if you, yeah, fight, flight, or freeze needs to be talked about more. It's always just the first two. And also, like you said, the physiological reactions to things that just because your body reacts, it doesn't mean that your mind has, you know, whether that's, you know, as a, as a man that could be certain things as well. Like it's just, yeah, absolutely. There's a whole trail we could chase there. Um, Right. (laughs) Shock. Yeah. All that stuff. And I think that's why um, I think with our education system, we need to teach about these things and to be like, oh, so that's why that happened. You know, like science has been, we've been doing a lot of, um, in psychology, a lot of research into trauma. And um, I think if people don't have access to that, they're going to live with like these things that they just didn't know that that was, that was a natural reaction to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think education is huge for that. And uh, why I still try to do teaching in my own way because um, I think that really solves everything. If we can get people raised on the right way, you know, then we would we would solve a lot of problems. All right, amen. Um, so, Talia, I want to go back a little bit to your your actual your art, your performing, everything. Um, sure, sure. What's the difference for you between writing and spoken? Like, I, I picture 
and you can tell me if I'm wrong here, if I'm on the right track. I picture as you're, as you're writing a poem, are you thinking about how this is going to sound spoken? Because as we speak, mm. it's different than how we write. So how does that translate for you between written and spoken? Are you thinking about that at all times? Yeah, um, it's hard. I feel like it depends on the poem. Um, sometimes I get an idea for something that would be great, like impactful because the performance would make it impactful. And then sometimes it's like more subtle things like um, like using uh, words that have double meanings. And so you would only know it by seeing the spelling of it. So it's, it can be very like situational. Um, but I think I try not to think about the performance while writing because um, I want it to be as authentic to my truth as possible. And I think if you start writing for the crowd, it, you lose a lot of authenticity, to be honest. Um, I think a lot of poets can get caught up with, I don't want people to be offended by this or that. Um, uh, so they they don't say that what they really mean, and I think, but there there's also a flip side to it that you want to hold yourself accountable because you don't like want to hurt anyone. But so there's a line where you have to think about the impact and the responsibility. It's more about the responsibility you have to not be um, someone who's contributing to like rape culture or something like that. So if you're saying something misogynistic or xenophobic or something like that, you need to check yourself. But if you're like scared, like my tits poem, like it's, <laughs> it's kind of scary to talk about boobs for three minutes, you know, <laughs> like knowing my dad is going to watch the video. <laughs> right. But I think um, great fear comes with great work. So um, putting yourself out there is, is important too. Um, and I think the performance, um, part of it is scary because you're going to get feedback in writing. It's just, you can toss it up and throw it out and no one will ever know you've written it. So yeah. there's a count. There's, there's a lot more into the performance, I think. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I just kind of thought of this. I don't know if I can word it the right way or not, but um, when you're talking about, you know, misogyny and, and xenophobia and that kind of stuff, you, you hear songs on the radio and, and you can go back, you know, into like the fifties and, and before even, where, you know, we, we tend to write what we know, we tend to write what we think. And so you'll have, you know, love songs or songs from a guy talking about, you know, trying to get the girl or whatever. And very mm -hmm. like stereotypical. Is, is that, so a couple of things, I guess. Number one, can we still write stories that we are considered, let's say, you know, average, straight, binary romance stories, right? Whether it's a song or a poem. Mm -hmm. And, and I, can, can we still do that and not be considered misogynistic? I think there's a way to go about it. Um, I think that w women and trans um, women and uh, non-binary people get spoken a lot about as items to win rather than having a narrative of their own. Hmm. Um, so I think that um, writing with that is just like sometimes you can just get like the most general, general, like description of a person. And then it's like, Oh, I love you. You, you blue, green, like brown eyed person, you know, like just trying to touch on everything and just to get like views and likes. And I think, um, we get called bitches a lot in, in music. And, um, uh, there's just a lot of language that needs to be changed in order to keep to that. Um, so it's both not making us items and, being very careful with the language you use 
talk about us. Um, and I think there's a way to include all of our stories without damaging each other um, in the process of it. Um, it's just, I don't have all the answers, but I think people need to, I think poetry is healthy for that because you think about each and every word that you're using um, and you hold yourself accountable for the words. And um, I've learned that it's, you might have, you might have the best intentions, but if it hurts someone, it hurts someone. You have to own up to that and you have to just accept it and learn from that mistake and move on um, and, and don't use it and don't use whatever you said again. Hmm. Okay. That's a good perspective. Um, I don't think either of us have all the answers, but I, just, <laughs> I love having the discussions. <laughs> I find it interesting. Like, you know, I, I'd like to think I'm, I'm a little bit aware and uh, supportive and stuff, I'm, but I'm still a, an average Midwest white guy. And I still listen to some country music and some of the songs that just blows me away. How just, terrible they are it's like yeah. really it's 2019 is this really what we're talking about is giving underage girls alcohol seriously um, yeah yeah mm -hmm. but you know things like that but i also look at like you know think about past work and it's hard to look at past work through the lens of today something was written in 1955 you know about the the sock hop and get in my car and whatever like mm -hmm. that was the culture then can we really look at those past works with the lens of today and, and forget where we came from, or is it just about, I like what you said, Talia, moving forward. Yeah, I think um, we can accept that that's what they did, but then we can take action now. So the, so like those songs, we cannot play that like R Kelly, like um, with everything going on with him, mm -hmm. um, like Spotify is now letting you um, block artists. And I think that's really powerful because I think your money and what, you put your name behind and what you promote says a lot about you and um and you have a power in this capitalistic society to say with your with your money what is okay and what isn't okay and you're seeing a lot of businesses move towards models that help people and using business um that you know a lot of people are supporting with their money ones who donate to charity that some of their proceeds go to that and I think that's the way we can make a lot of change because money is so um, powerful. And so I think people can, can not listen to those artists, you know, like those, if you hear something, change the radio, if you don't like it, you know, that's, that's a one less view they're getting. And um, I think with changes, it just takes individual small choices every day that um, makes big impacts and just a lot of, we have power of numbers. And I think, um, we forget about that and, and it, it can be discouraging thinking you're the only one doing it. But when we all compound all of our efforts, um, it can make a lot of bigger changes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well said. Um, so I want to ask you about your book when, as you're a, a poet and a writer and you're creating these poems and you're performing them, how do you take that and turn it into a book? Are you just collecting them at all times? Like how did breadcrumbs come about? Oh, it took so long. <laughs> yeah. There was it was like almost three years, um, and it it changed so many times because I you're you're a developing person and um, you you write better poems and you're like oh wow you look back on your old stuff you're like wow this is terrible <laughs> like, like my work is so much better now so you you just want to keep filling the book with newer stuff um, and it really it took me having to sit down and say 
what do I really want to say to the world? What is my specific message and how can I help people? And it took a lot of soul searching. And um, I think um, it's a very central on my life's mission is actually um, to end rape culture, to destigmatize mental illness and to um, dismantle the patriarchy. And so when I kind of clarified what I wanted to do with my life, the book kind of just flowed out after that. Um, because then I can ask myself the question, does this further my life's mission? Does this poem speak to someone or one of these issues? And um, that's how it, it kind of came out. Hmm. That's pretty powerful. Give yourself a, a life mission statement and then frame every decision by that. Yeah. Hmm. It's, it's honestly, I did that like about only about like, um, I'd say six months ago. And it's been very I feel like once you clarify what you want from the universe, it like gives it to you. I don't know if I'm, I'm kind of like spiritual. I don't know if I believe in a God, but I think there's something bigger out there, like trying to move things along. And I think um, when you speak it into existence, it'll become, you know, you'll manifest it. And um, I think when you clarify your goals, things just move out of your path. It's really like weird. And, so like I've been um, setting up a tour at um, shelters um, and nonprofits that are working with domestic violence and um, and survivors. Um, and it's just been, I've been like filling my whole schedule with, with performances now and the book is coming out and, and it's getting like a good amount of attention. So it's just like good things come to you when you do good things, I think. Absolutely. Well, it's funny, you know, you're, you talk about spiritual, um, you know, d- disclosure. I I believe I believe in in a Christian God, but but I believe in spiritual, like what you were saying. And it's funny because, it, you know, it, the Bible says there's power of life and death in the tongue. So when mm. in in that faith, we, we we talk about that, right? There, if you speak it, you speak positivity. You can speak life into people, or you can cut them down. And I think we do that with our internal dialogue too. It sounds like you, Talia, you spoke positivity. This is what I want to do with my life. Instead of saying, well, I'm never going to month anything. I'm just going to be a starving artist. I'm just going to blah, blah, blah. Like you spoke life. And so I think that that crosses spiritual barriers for sure. There's power of life and death in the tongue for sure. Yeah, I think um, I when I was at my lowest, I had to turn to something else because so much was out of my control. Um, and I think... Um, I actually, I guess I would consider myself a Quaker. Um, I went to a meeting um, right after, like, must have been like a week or two after I was raped, and I was actually in a manic episode, um, which I had never experienced before because my body, like, my brain was just trying to protect me from all these awful things that were happening. So it was just giving me a lot of energy, and I was just going, 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 doing things. Um, and so I was like, oh, a, a Quaker meeting that says nonviolent? Sure, I'll show up to that. And <laughs> just kind of went to this place not knowing what to expect and they sit in silence um actually for about 30 minutes in their meeting and if you feel moved to speak you just stand up and speak and um for someone who would who was running from so much um and terrified of the silence and of stopping to have to face everything just sitting down and having to connect with myself and with you know sitting in silence with a group of people you don't often do that and I think it was it saved me a lot um, to be able to face the silence again and find um, God or the universe or whatever is out there. Um, I think you face that in the silence um, a lot. And um, it, it, the whole experience really developed my spiritual spirituality a lot. Hmm. 
Powerful stuff, Talia. This is, uh, thank you so much for, for sharing as much as you did. Um, so much good stuff there. Your, your challenges, your, your inspiration, your story, just gosh, such, such great stuff. I, I want to, oh, you. yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. I want to get to my, my last question here in just a minute, but before I do, I want to make sure people can connect with you. Um, I'll put some links in the show notes, of course, uh, social media, website, that kind of stuff. But where is the best place that you want people to connect with you? Um, I guess my all encompassing thing would be Facebook, um, Talia Minji. Um, but I also am pretty heavy on Instagram too. Um, and, uh, my Instagram handle is Talia does art stuff with periods in between each word. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'll put on both of those. I also saw your Talia the poet Facebook page. We'll have that. We can get people to go like that and get your updates too. So. Oh, thank you. That's yeah, cool. that one's uh, newer, so it's not quite as big, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if we can't help you with that. That's awesome, though. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> absolutely. So, so Talia, if, if someone were to say to you, you can no longer be a storyteller, you got to find something else to do, uh, as impossible as that may be, think about it for a minute. <laughs> what, what would be hmm. your last story that you'd want to leave uh, everybody with? Hmm. Oh, that is a good question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, well, I guess I have to eliminate, there's some stories that I'm, I'm partial to, but I've already felt like I have said them already. You know what I mean? I think I've expressed them. So I guess one of my untold stories would have to be um, about my family, I guess. Um, I think I would want to talk about love. If I had to tell my last story, I'd talk a lot about heavy things and trauma but I think love is what got me through most of that. And I think wanting to express how much my people mean to me, um, both family and friends, because I think they're your chosen family. Um, so I would want to write a love poem to, um, to everyone who's meant something to me. Very powerful. Inspirational. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you again. You're very sweet. <laughs> uh, I, I can't thank you enough uh, for being a part of the Storytellers Network, Talia. Um, very excited to have you on, on board with this and can't wait to get this show out there for people to, to listen. So uh, thank you very much for being a part of the show. Of course. Thank you. Thank you for all the work you're doing. I think it's important. All right, once again, thank you so much, Talia Minji, for connecting with the Storytellers Network and bringing your story to listeners. You can connect with her at the links in the show notes. It's all down there for you. And if you enjoy the episode, please consider sharing it with someone out there, someone who can get something out of this. Let's help Talia spread her story. Post it to social media, text someone, or just stop them on the street and tell them any way you can share your story, share our story with people is very much appreciated. And if you want to share your story with me, go to the storytellersnetwork.com. Go to the contact page, hit contact Dan, and let's have us a conversation. And be sure to sign up as well for email updates. Uh, send them out every couple of weeks to make sure that you're up to date on the latest episodes. It's all there at storytellersnetwork.com. Thanks for listening. Here's to telling our stories and having those stories to tell. Cheers.